0: Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health Podcast. My name is Esther Lau, and I'm the Senior Editor of the Journal. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of prescription opioids in children and adolescents. First, we'll hear from Dr. Jane Bell and Dr. Simon Paget from the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney, Australia, about their study on dispensing patterns of prescription opioids in Australia. Then we'll be joined by Dr. Scott Hatland from the Boston University School of Medicine and Boston Medical Center, who will share some thoughts on the lessons we can learn from the opioid crisis in the USA. So, let's start with Australia. Jane and Simon, welcome. Please introduce yourselves.
1: Hello, Esther. Um, I'm Jane Bell. I'm a research fellow at the Children's Hospital at Westmead Clinical School, um, part of the University of Sydney.
0: So
2: um, thanks for asking me to join this podcast. My name is Simon Paget. I'm a paediatric rehabilitation medicine physician and I work at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney, Australia.
0: Great. Opioids are an important class of medication in pain management. Before we talk about your study, can you tell us what are the common indications for opioid prescriptions in the paediatric population and what are some potential risks associated with opioid exposure?
2: As you said, opioids are an important medication in the management of moderate to severe acute pain in pediatrics, as part of a multimodal approach, including other analgesics such as paracetamol and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Oxycodone is the most commonly prescribed oral opioid medication, and in our hospital, is mainly prescribed for the management of pain related to injuries and acute post-operative pain. A smaller, but important number of children will be prescribed oxycodone for cancer-related pain and to breakthrough treatment of conditions where pain persists, including chronic or complex pain. So it's important to note that historically misconceptions around pediatric pain resulted in many children receiving inadequate pain management. And these misconceptions included that children are more likely to become addicted to opioids, which is not true. That said, prescribers of opioid medications in children must be aware of potential risks of the medications and prescribe accordingly with reference to local guidelines. Common side effects of opioids we see include constipation, nausea, itch. And in higher doses, the drugs can cause drowsiness and respiratory depression. Prescribers should consider what other medications the child is taking that might interact. And patients that have been receiving opioids for more than seven days are at risk of opioid dependence and can experience withdrawal symptoms if their dose of opioid is not weaned appropriately. There is limited place for slow-release opioid preparations, and typically these shouldn't be prescribed outside specialist settings.
0: You did a population-based cohort study using data from a 15% random sample of Australian children and adolescents who were dispensed any medicines under the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme from February 2013 to December 2017. Can you briefly tell us what this scheme is and what data did you extract for analysis?
1: The Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme is a national universal program funded by the Australian Government. All Australian citizens and permanent residents are entitled to subsidised prescribed medicines. These are dispensed in community pharmacies and in private hospitals and in most states to public hospital outpatients and inpatients being discharged. For this study, from the 15% random sample of Australians under 25 who were dispensed any medicines under the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, we identified all children and adolescents up to 18 years old who were dispensed an opioid medicine Um, from February 2013 to the end of 2017. The opioids available included buprenorphine, codeine, fentanyl, hydromorphone, methadone, morphine, oxycodone, tapentadol, and tramadol. And for this group, we then identified all their medicines dispensed over the same period. Looking
0: at the data from 2017, Uh, you found that 135 per 10,000 children aged between 0 and 17 years were dispensed opioids at least once. How does this figure break down by age group, and how has it changed over time?
1: Overall, this figure translates to 1 in 74 children aged 0 to 17 who had an opioid dispensed. However, this was very different by age group, with adolescents much more likely to be dispensed an opioid than younger children. In 2017, around 1 in 25 adolescents aged 13 to 17 years were dispensed an opioid, compared with about 1 in 200 children aged 5 to 12 years and 1 in 300 aged 1 to 4. Over time, from 2013 to 2017, the overall dispensing of opioids declined very slightly among adolescents by an average of about 2% per year. However, there was no change over time for children aged 5 to 12 years, and we saw a slight increase for children aged 1 to 4 years old, averaging 2.8% per year.
0: And how have dispensing patterns changed in terms of the different classes of opioids?
1: We classified opioids as strong or weaker. Codeine and tramadol are the weaker opioids, and they comprised 61% of all opioid dispensings over the study period. The other opioids were all classed as strong opioids and accounted for 39% of opioids dispensed. The prevalence rate of dispensing of weaker opioids, which was mainly codeine, declined in most age groups, but dispensing of strong opioids, mainly oxycodone, increased in all age groups. We wonder if this was in response to a change in guidelines. Codeine increases the risk of respiratory depression among children who metabolise codeine rapidly. From 2013 onwards, Australia and other countries recommended restricting the prescribing of codeine to children under 12 years old and to children who have a tonsillectomy or adenoidectomy for sleep apnea. We also looked at short and long-acting opioids. Short-acting opioid use increased in young children less than 5 years old, was stable among 5 to 12-year-olds, and fell in adolescence. Long-acting opioids were not frequently dispensed, but their use increased in children over 5 years old.
0: At the moment, there's little evidence to guide opioid use in the paediatric population, and we don't have enough data on the long-term effectiveness and safety of these medications. In view of this and the trends you observed in the study, what does take-home message for prescribers, and what should future research in this area look at?
2: So first off, it's important that children receive appropriate pain management. So choosing an appropriate type of opioid as a part of a multimodal treatment, as we just discussed, is really important. With children who are going to need more pain management long-term, access to interdisciplinary pain management, including non-pharmacological strategies, is what we feel is important. We commonly talk about the three M's for the treatment of chronic complex pain, being movement, mind, and medication. Access to specialist complex pain clinics has improved in our setting in recent years particularly using technologies such as telehealth and improving education in this area and understanding factors that may restrict children from accessing specialist pain services would be very useful. In terms of research, we think that linkage, linkage studies that combine prescribing data to other health events including emergency department visits and hospital admissions and other data sets will be useful to help us understand the indications why opioids are prescribed and rates and types of the more serious adverse events from medications.
0: Thank you, Simon and Jane. Indeed, it's so important to strike the right balance in pain management. While opioids are very effective in treating pain, some patients prescribed an opioid for acute pain will subsequently develop an opioid use disorder, and some will shift to using higher potency opioids such as heroin. In the next part of the podcast, we'll shift our focus to the USA, a country that has seen a dramatic increase in opioid overdose deaths. Scott, thanks for joining us. Please introduce yourself.
3: Thanks for having me. Yeah, my name is Dr. Scott Hadland, and I'm a pediatrician and adolescent addiction specialist at Boston University School of Medicine and Boston Medical Center in Boston, United States.
0: So overdose deaths from opioids have reached epidemic levels in the USA. Um, tell us the scale of the problem among children and adolescents in particular.
3: There was a recent study performed by Julie Gaither at Yale University that really sheds a lot of light on what's going on among adolescents in the United States. What Dr. Gaither did was looked at overdose deaths between 1999 and 2016 and was able to find that um, among 15 to 19-year-olds, deaths attributable to overdose from prescription opioids rose 95% over that time period, um, which in and of itself is an astounding number. Um, But if you looked at the numbers for heroin and for synthetic opioids, including fentanyl, uh, overdose deaths attributable to heroin rose more than 400%. And overdose deaths attributable to fentanyl rose nearly 3,000% during that time period between 1999 and
0: 2016. Wow, numbers are really staggering. Reflecting on what the USA has gone through, what are some lessons for other countries when it comes to using opioids for pain management?
3: Well, it's important to remember that opioids are a cornerstone of management of severe acute pain, um, including among uh, the pediatric population. And so even though in the United States, we've observed a rise in prescription opioid related deaths, as have other countries, including Australia, for example, it's really critical that uh, we not stop prescribing opioids altogether. They do have a critical role to play in in everyday pediatric practice. On the other hand, we need to make sure that we are prescribing opioids in a safe and responsible manner. Um, What that means is um, whenever possible, not using opioids if we don't need to. So, for example, for mild and moderate pain, it's often sufficient to to use a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug to manage pain or even non-pharmacologic options like relaxation or distraction or physical therapy or massage. Um, So really avoiding the use of an opioid in the first place when it's unnecessary is a critical first step. Um, And then there's important lessons that, uh, that we know can also prevent downstream harms to adolescents and and younger children as well. And that's really making sure that when we do prescribe an opioid, first of all, we're avoiding medications like codeine and tramadol, which in the United States and Australia and other countries um, are really associated with with risk of sudden death among young children and among certain high-risk groups. And then prescribing the shortest duration of an opioid um, and a short-acting opioid, not a long-acting opioid, prescribing the shortest duration that we can um, to effectively manage someone's pain.
0: Yeah, I really like what you wrote in the comment. Um, you know, the response of the pediatric workforce should not be to stop prescribing opioids, but rather to prescribe mindfully. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Do check out the paper and the link to comment on our website and tell us what you think on Twitter at Lancet